John chapter 14, verse 30, the words of Jesus Christ to his disciples. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler or the prince of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Jesus said, the devil's coming. And when he gets here and looks inside of me, there's nothing in me that belongs to him. I'm clean. And I'd like to speak to you on that subject today. You may be seated. The Bible said, blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. For the month of March, family matters. Moral purity has been our theme. But the target is to be like Jesus, to have the cleanliness, the purity of Jesus in all of us. The pure in heart see God, that ought to be our goal. The Bible said that Jesus was tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. So it wasn't because he never faced a trial or never had a temptation, but in every area of life that you have ever been tempted, Jesus faced that same attack of temptation. He was persecuted, but he forgave and kept a pure heart. The Bible said he came to his own, his own people, and they received him not. For 33 years, he had opposed the impurity of Satan and had overcome. Now was the most difficult moment of his life. This would be the fiercest trial he would ever experience. And would he finish strong or would he give in? He is a God-man. He is fully man. He has a choice to make. He is not forced to do the right thing. He chooses to obey and submit to the will of His Father. On the night of His betrayal, Jesus took the twelve disciples, the twelve that He had chosen and called to be with Him, They went into a large upper room that was furnished and there on that night they ate the traditional Jewish Passover meal. The lamb, the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread that symbolized Israelites getting out of Egypt in haste. The Lord said, don't raise the bread with leaven or yeast, but I want you to bake it quickly. I don't want you to slow cook the lamb. I want you to roast it over a fire because I'm saying something about getting out of Egypt that when I tell you to go, I want you to get out with haste. Get out now. We understand Egypt as a type of sin. And there are some people who want to get out of sin and out of the world and out of their old life, but they want to do it step by step gradually. But can I tell you, the only way to get out of bondage is to run for your life. You get out quickly when the Lord sets you free. The night of deliverance, that night of the Passover, the death angel passes over everyone who has the blood applied to their homes and the Israelites are free to flee from Egyptian bondage. This is the night that celebrated 
that ancient event. On this same night, Jesus instituted the symbol of serving. He washed the disciples' feet. And when he finished, he told them, If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. That happened on this night. And then he instituted what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. You may have grown up with the word Eucharist if you were raised in a traditional church. What you receive today is a cup. It's kind of a new modern way of receiving communion that makes it easy for us to do this as a large congregation. And there is a a little wafer of unleavened bread. It is symbolic. The Apostle Paul said, you don't come to church and receive communion like a big meal. You have houses to eat in. We do this to, to commemorate what Jesus did for us. The unleavened bread. And then grape juice is what we receive here. The fruit of the vine. And these symbols of suffering are for us to remember the Lord's death until He comes back again. The bread symbolizing the broken body of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, eat this bread. It is my body that has been broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And when we partake of that that wafer, that unleavened bread, we remember the body of Jesus Christ that was beaten bloody, that was hammered to a cross, Not a bone was broken, but his flesh was torn. The Bible speaks of it as the veil of his flesh that opened the way into the holy of holies for all of us. And then that that juice, the fruit of the vine, that produce of the grape, Jesus said, this is my blood which is shed for the remission of sins or shed for many. And when we drink that cup, we are remembering the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. Jesus is referred to as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. All through the Old Testament of the Bible, we learn that without the shedding of blood is no remission of sins, that God chose the the principle of substitution, that an innocent sacrifice would take the place of the guilty, And Jesus would be the final sacrifice who would stand in for us where we should have died for our sins. He would die in our place. And Jesus said, when you drink this cup, as often as you drink it, you show my death. Paul said that you do this in remembrance and you show his death until the Lord comes again. Now, The Bible is very plain, and I want to say this now, that when we receive communion, it is not just a dead ritual. It is a living spiritual experience. Jesus said because, or Paul said rather, that because some people had taken communion in a flippant manner, not really reverencing this moment and this sacrament of the church, that many were weak and sick, and some had prematurely died because they did not discern the Lord's body. I believe there's a twofold discerning of the Lord's body. That we respect what He did for us and we realize that without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we would forever be lost and separated from God. But we also discern the Lord's body 
that we're sitting next to right now. His body, the church. For when you read this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, you realize that they did not respect one another. That there were divisions in their church. And Paul wanted them to remember that Jesus died to bring us to Him and to bring us together. He broke down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile, between every creed and race, so that we can know Jesus Christ and we could be one body together. So later in this service when we receive the bread symbolizing His broken body, and when we drink of the cup that symbolizes the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we do it first by asking God to cleanse us of every known sin, to look into the secret places of our life And make sure that we are thoroughly right with Him. We examine and then we partake of this. It's a very important rite of the church. Jesus instituted this that night in the upper room. And then John tells us for three chapters, Jesus spoke and then prayed. John 14, 15, 16. And then chapter 17, Jesus prayed a prayer of intercession over his disciples. And John 18 opens like this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. When we read about the life of Jesus Christ, we realize that he was a man of prayer. He prayed all night. He arose a great while before day and went out into a solitary place and prayed. This garden, the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives was a place that Jesus resorted to often to pray with his disciples. It would be a prayer room for him that, that someone would know that where they could find him in a place of prayer. They go to Gethsemane which was an olive grove. I've been had the privilege of standing there and watching olive trees that actually existed in the time of Jesus Christ. It feels to me to be the most authentic place of anywhere you visit, any place you visit in the Holy Land. I see Jesus standing there, and I know that the word Gethsemane means olive press. It is a place where the olive is crushed and the oil is released. And it is in this garden of Gethsemane that Jesus would go with his disciples. He would take Peter, James, and John. He would lead them a little farther. He would ask them to pray with him. He would go even a little farther and fall on his face and he would pray. He would come back to them and say, Could you not watch with me one hour? But they were sleeping while he was praying. And while he was praying, somewhere off in another building, there was Judas who was plotting to betray his Lord and sell him out. It was in Gethsemane where Jesus, his sweat would become his great drops of blood. And he would say, Father, if it is possible, let this cup, this cup of suffering, this cup of sin, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless... Not his I will, but your will. He is on his face. Blood is streaming down his face as the capillaries break and blood flows with the great stress that he is under. He is under so much stress facing sin and death that the Bible said that an angel came and strengthened him there. 
but the disciples are all sleeping while he is interceding and he is praying, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He comes back and the disciples, the third time, they're still asleep. He now tells them, rise and let us be going, for my betrayer is at hand. Earlier in the upper room, he said, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. In the garden, he is submitting his will to the will of the Father. The man is saying, I will go to the cross. I will become sin. I will take in my body the sins of every man and woman that have ever existed in human time. And if they will trust me, if they will have faith in my blood, then they can be clean like I am clean. As soon as Jesus says this, Judas, one of the twelve, comes. And there's a great multitude of soldiers and priests and people that are coming into the Garden of Gethsemane, marching there. They're ready for him. Swords, clubs. Judas walks up to Jesus. He had given them the sign that whoever I greet with that Eastern greeting of a kiss, he's the one. He walks up to his only trusted friend in the world. Judas greets him with that kiss and kind of in a way that seems to me like a cynical smile on his face. Greetings, Rabbi. And the kiss of betrayal. In that moment, though, Jesus is still clean. He does not see an enemy standing there. He looks at Judas and says, Friend, why have you come? Because if you're clean, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. On the night of his passion, what we call the passion of the Christ, his death, there's a legal trial after a hearing after a trial. Pilate to Herod and back to Pilate, the Roman governor. He is mocked. They put on him a robe. They press a crown of thorns into his brow, a stick for a scepter, and they mock him, Hail, King of the Jews. Later on the cross, they will say, He saved others. Himself he could not sail. And they would cast accusation into his teeth. Mocked him. With a cat of nine tails, a whip, they would beat his back. More than 39 stripes. And they would rip the flesh from his back. The crown of thorns is caused bleeding from his head. The whip is caused bleeding from his back. All night long, there is no sleep for him. It is the most excruciating moment in the world. It is not just a man assigned capital punishment. It is God come in flesh, taking the sins of the world. This is the most significant event of human history. No wonder there is a cross, for it is a crossroad of all human history, and it is a crossroad of every human life. They lead him away to Golgotha, the place of a skull. Between two thieves, he is crucified, a normal slow form of death. 9 a.m. in the morning till approximately 3 o'clock in the afternoon. For six hours he hangs there. He yields up his spirit 
but to the men who were professional executioners, who had done this before, to all of the people who had rejected him, his own people. He looks in them, and there is nothing of the devil in them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How can you say that? When they drove the nail into your hands and your feet. When they spit on you and mocked you and stripped you naked. When the people you came to save walked by you wagging their heads. What a fool you are right now. For you left the splendor of heaven to die in the agony of the cross. The prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing of his in me. There's no sin in me. There's no unforgiveness in me. I've been hurt, but I'm not bitter. The prince of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. I've been tempted by the lust of my flesh, but I did not give in. The lust of my eyes, but I said no. The pride of life, but I resisted. The prince of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. There is no hatred in me. There is no prejudice in me. There is nothing in me that Satan can claim belongs to him or is like him. The prince or ruler of this world is coming. John 14.30 And he has nothing. He has nothing in me. No secret faults. No willful sins. No root of bitterness. You know the word picture is that Satan is coming and he would like to kind of spiritually reach inside of Jesus Christ. Or point the finger of accusation at him and say, you did really good, but, but remember, there you failed. Or there you failed. You justified that attitude in your life. You struggled with that sin, so you decided that you could come to church and feel the presence of God. So it must be okay to live with duplicity in your life while you say you love God, but you've deceived yourself and you have something impure in you. The prince of this world is coming, the ruler of this world, the devil, and he has nothing in me. It's almost like the devil is trying to find a handhold. You know if you're trying to climb up somewhere, you want to find something to put your hand on. And the devil would like to find something in Jesus that he can reach into his life and put his hand on that and say, you see that there? That's mine. I've got claim on you. That's why Jesus said it. That the ruler, the prince of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. Let him search my mind. Let him search my spirit. Let him look at every action. Let him see every attitude. Hear every word I've ever spoken. He has nothing, nothing in me. None of us can say that. Outside of the forgiveness of God and the blood of Jesus being applied to our lives, none of us can say, I'm clean. 
But the Lord does not ask something that we cannot do. And it is because of what Jesus did on the cross that His righteousness has been imparted to us. The Bible word is imputed. While our record showed sin and failure, His record showed pure and clean. And my faith in what He did on the cross when I believe Accept and then apply the blood of Jesus to my life. He stamps over my soul the approval of God. And when God sees me through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am as clean and righteous as Jesus for the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All of your righteousness is filthy rags, the Bible said. You come to God on your best day and it's still falls short of the glory of God. We're all like sheep who have gone astray and we have turned everyone to our own way and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 and 5, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and by his stripes, we are healed. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Isaiah 1 and 18, come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It doesn't matter today how much sin is in your life right now. It matters what you do with that sin. You can carry it to your grave or you can carry it to the cross. And if you will take it to the cross of Jesus Christ, if you will confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's thank Him right now. So no matter how great sin you've committed or how much guilt you're carrying, no matter how many regrets that you feel right now because you didn't do right before today, Jesus Christ died clean so that we could be pure like Him. The prince, the ruler of this world is coming. The devil was made the prince and the power of the air. The Bible said that Satan entered Judas, 
And Satan is coming for Jesus. There's never been a man since the first man that has made it all the way to his dying breath and been clean. But Jesus could say till his last breath, it is finished. And in your hands I commend my spirit. The prince of this world is coming. And he has nothing in The choir sang a song today because it is this message, clean. And there's a story behind the song that is really amazing. The claim was written by Natalie Grant. She's a Christian songwriter and recording artist. She wrote the song because of an experience she had. One afternoon, Natalie Grant met with a friend of hers. And this friend began to open up her heart to Natalie Grant. They were having coffee or lunch together. And this young lady looked at her friend Natalie. And she tried to to voice the words that would describe what she had experienced in her childhood. It was a deep, dark secret that she had never told anyone as best we know. When she was a young woman, young girl maybe, she had been abused. And her abuse was done to her in a way that just ripped away her feeling of any value at all. She's sitting there with her friend Natalie. She's trying to get help. She feels so terrible for what happened to her. She couldn't get the words out. She just kept saying to Natalie Grant, it's just too dirty to even talk about. It's just too dirty. I can't talk about it. It's it's too dirty. And they prayed, cried, and read scripture together. And after that young woman walked away, Natalie Grant said, I just sat there and thought about How many people have never experienced forgiveness in Jesus Christ? She said, I even thought about some followers of Jesus who go to church and worship God and put a smile on their face, but yet on the inside they never feel that they measure up to God's standard for clean. She said as she sat there thinking about this, some shame people had, some mistake Maybe a hurt. Skeletons in our closets. Sin we don't want anyone to hear about. Failure to live up to God's holy righteous standard. Dirty. Too dark. Too dirty. I just can't talk about it. Natalie Grant said while I was sitting there thinking about I actually started singing these words. There's nothing too dirty that you can't make worthy. And the song was born that day. I'm ministering to you today because I think innately, because we know we have fallen so short of God's glory.
There's too many mistakes, too many hurts. We never feel that we measure up to the glory of God, God's righteous standard. But when I stand before God and He looks at me and says, Daryl Johns, why should I let you into my heaven? I won't talk about how many years I ministered, how many people I've helped, how many prayers I've prayed, how many days I've fasted, how much money I've ever given to the kingdom of God. I only have one reason that will give me access to the kingdom of God, and that is that the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross has been applied to my life. And because he was clean, I can be clean with him. Would you bow your heads right now? Lord God, we approach this we approach this moment of communion, Lord. You said who should ascend into the hill of the Lord? The one that has clean hands and a pure heart. We know, Lord, today that all of us have had dirt on our hands and had hearts that were impure. But today, Lord, before we receive communion, we collectively and privately ask you to cleanse us of every sin. Look deep into us, Lord, at every secret fault, every willful sin. Let the words of our mouth, let the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. Today, Lord, We repent of our sins. We examine ourselves. We pray, oh God, that you would let us embrace the blood of Jesus Christ and the broken body that you gave for us on the cross. Lord God, today we ask you to make us clean.